What's going on, family? Happy Thursday. Yeah, different kind of day. Happy Thursday. Welcome to another edition of The Faction. My name's Gerard Bonner. I am honored to hang out with you guys today, representing our crew here at The Faction. Shout out to all of you who are joining us wherever you found us, whether it is following us on the socials at The Faction Show, or if you are among those who are subscribed to our podcast, or if you are super incredible and you're doing both. You are amazing and I am grateful for you. If you're brand new to what we do here, welcome aboard. It is an honor to have you here. We have fun and intelligent conversation about pro wrestling here and it's a lot of fun to do. I absolutely love it and I hope you do as well. All right, there's a lot to get into as it has been a very busy week in the space of pro wrestling and I am just excited. It's hard to believe that we are sitting here at the end of the first half of 2020. 23 and what a year it's been in fact this gives me an idea maybe next week we'll do some content surrounding the first half of 2023 talk about perhaps some of the biggest moments the biggest matches yeah there's been a lot that has happened already in 2023 and this weekend proved to be another beautiful weekend in the sport of pro wrestling as this weekend we saw forbidden door take place in fact today we're going to get into all things connected to forbidden door we're also going to talk about the latest episode of dark side of the ring we'll preview money in the bank and we're going to celebrate a massive anniversary a 25 year anniversary happening this week so let's start with our conversation about forbidden door Forbidden Door took place this past Sunday at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. A very unique event which began last year, once a year, where AEW and New Japan present a joint pay-per-view. Really a dream moment that a lot of people did not think would be possible. It actually officially began last year, continued this year, and this year, I think, gave us not just one of the best presentations of Forbidden Door, but I would argue legitimately one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time. It was that serious. And so a shout out to everybody involved in this year's incredible event for Forbidden Door. Just absolutely unreal. It was so, so good. So let's talk about the results and then kind of talk about the real takeaways from this year's Forbidden Door pay-per-view. So this year's Forbidden Door began with the zero hour, a free hour of wrestling from Forbidden Door. Four matches involved. It began with the Mogul Embassy, consisting of Swerve Strickland, Toa Leona, Brian Cage, and Bishop Khan, defeating the team of Chaos, that is Rocky Romero, Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta, and El Desperado. Athena, the ROH Women's World Champion defeated Billy Starks in a first round Owen Hart Cup tournament match. El Fantasmo defeated Stu Grayson and the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromo Takahashi and Shingo Tagaki defeated the United Empire, that team of Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher and TJP. Then we move to the main card and the main card kicked off with the AEW World Title match as MJF successfully defended against Hiroshi Tanahashi. In an Owen Hart Cup tournament match in the first round, CM Punk defeated Satoshi Kojima. 
Orange Cassidy defeated Daniel Garcia, Katsuyori Shibata, and Zack Sabre Jr. in a successful defense of the AEW All-Atlantic Championship. Sonata successfully defended the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Jungle Boy. In 10-man tag action, the Elite, Tomohoro Ishii and Eddie Kingston defeated the Blackpool Combat Club, Shota Umino and Konosuke Takeshita. Tony Storm successfully defended the AEW Women's World Title against Willow Nightingale. Will Ospreay defeated Kenny Omega to win the IWGP United States Championship. And in the main event, the dream match, Brian Danielson defeated Kazuchika Okada. Now, I could really talk about every one of these matches because all of these matches were special. I do want to mention a couple of the standout matches and moments, though. Firstly, that AEW All-Atlantic Championship match, that four-way match between Orange Cassidy, Daniel Garcia, Katsuyora Shibata, and Zack Sabre Jr. Uniquely, this particular matchup actually was one that consisted of three promotions because Katsuyora Shibata is currently the Ring of Honor Pure Champion. So you had Ring of Honor, AEW, and New Japan all represented in this matchup. Three champions and Daniel Garcia. (laughs) With that said, I've got to tell you, this match was so incredible. I didn't know how it could be followed because it was amazing. And perhaps that's the thing about this card is that this card just keeps getting better and better and better and better. You know, it's interesting, and I'll say this, you've gotta know how star-studded and significant the card is when CM Punk is the second match on the card. The same CM Punk who has become the flagship of AEW's new show, Collision, that CM Punk, in a first-round qualifying match for the Owen Hart Cup tournament, Intriguing, but I think it spoke to just how powerful this card was that Punk was number two on the card, not number one, and not the end. Also powerful that Brian Danielson and Kazuchika Okada main event this show and what a main event it was. And I'll come back to that in a second. One of the most shocking moments of this pay-per-view was Jungle Boy turning on Hook following his loss against Sonata for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Admittedly, Jungle Boy doing a heel turn was something that I thought would happen at Double or Nothing. I completely put the thought out of my mind by the time we got to this IWGP Heavyweight Championship match. Side note, Sonata looks amazing as the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Let me also say this. If you have not watched New Japan, and on this particular podcast, we talk quite a bit about New Japan, and we do that because I love introducing all of our listeners to perhaps wrestlers or promotions that you may not be as familiar with. Now, when Sonata defeated Kazuchika Okada earlier this year following the New Japan Cup to win the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. It was a major moment. It was Sonata's first time as the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Many didn't think he could pull it off, but he really got hot at the right time. And as you can see, Kazuchika Okada is forever that guy. So Sonata looks like a champion, dresses like a champion, wrestles like a champion. And let me tell you something. He has really grown in to the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. 
I think Jungle Boy may not have been the greatest challenger for him. I would have loved to have seen him against someone tougher, but Jungle Boy held his own. It was a great match. Sonata retained. Jungle Boy turns on Hook, and really he ends up not losing anything because he now goes into a different element of a storyline in AEW. This 10-man tag with the elite Tomohoro Ishii and Eddie Kingston against the Blackpool Combat Club, Shota Umino, and Kanosuke Takeshita. Okay, so let me just say this. I'm not always a fan of 8-man and 10-man matches. New Japan does quite a few 8-man, 10-man matches, and they do that so they can get a lot of their talent on the card. It's also kind of a cool precursor to perhaps a solo match that's going to be coming down the road. Like, these are the things that happen. And it's pretty exciting. I've got to tell you, it's really, really exciting. But those matches sometimes, you know, almost feel like old school Survivor Series matches. They can be slower in pace. It could be a harder story to follow. And also, all 10 or 8 men aren't always super vested in the match. Throw everything I just said about these 10-man tag matches out of the window. Because with this match, it totally debunked all of that. Everybody was super involved. And part of it is because, you know, you had a great war involving the BCC and the elite. Bringing Tomohoro Ishii and Eddie Kingston in and the complications that Kingston has with both the elite and the BCC. His complicated relationship with John Moxley. Then you bring Shota Umino in and you bring in Takeshita. Kanosuke Takeshita, who, let me just say this, is a star. When you can knock out Tomohoro Ishii with one punch, you are that guy. Trust me. Go back. Matter of fact, just watch the whole pay-per-view because the whole pay-per-view is amazing. It's worth your money. It just is. It just is. Now, I will say perhaps the one match that I did not have high hopes for was Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale. Now, before you go and crucify me on this, let me just explain what I mean when I say high hopes. When I say high hopes, I did not walk into this match believing that Willow Nightingale would walk out as the AEW Women's World Champion, and here's why. Willow Nightingale is currently the New Japan Strong Women's Champion, which many argue she won not because she isn't good, because she certainly is good, but the injury to Mercedes Monet, I think, actually helped to fuel that particular victory. What a different forbidden door we might have had if Mercedes had not gotten injured and won that championship and Mercedes fought Tony Storm. Mercedes might actually be the AEW Women's World Champion right now. That's a realistic thought. So with that said, I think Willow did have a great showing. Now, it did not hurt that the night before she beat a former AEW Women's World Champion in Nyla Rose to move to the semifinals of the Owen Hart Cup Invitational Tournament. With that said, Tony Storm walked in as the favorite, left as the favorite. Willow still leaves as a strong women's champion. I think Willow is going to have an interesting challenge ahead of her, as in the semifinals, she's slated to take on Athena, another battle between two women's champions that I think is a must-win for Willow because you don't want to be viewed as kind of a champion that can't be taken seriously if you can't beat another women's champion. But that's another story for another day. So now let's get to the last three matches, and I'm going to save two of them for last. I'm going to go out of order with one. The one I'm going out of order with is the team of Darby Allen, Sting, and Tetsuya Naito, who defeated the team of Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki. 
Really, the story of this match, there were two stories. One being kind of the ongoing tension involving Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho, but that was overshadowed by the first in-ring contact ever between Sting and Chris Jericho inside of a match. Pretty wild. Now, if you've watched AEW Dynamite, you know that there was a tag match that took place that ended the show involving Sting and Darby Allen against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara that ended with Sting tapping out Chris Jericho in the Scorpion Deathlock. Pretty amazing match. The things that Sting's doing at age 62, like it's crazy. It's absolutely positively crazy. But he's getting it done, and it is amazing. Now then to the two matches that I think kept everybody talking. I'm going to start with the main event. Brian Danielson, Kazuchika Okada. First of all, I think AEW did a smart thing by putting that six-man tag or that trios match that I just mentioned in between the U.S. title match and then this main event. You needed a bit of a palate cleanser, for sure, because... Following Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, you needed Sting and Chris Jericho. You just did, okay? Brian Danielson, Kazuchika Okada. Now, there are people who are saying that Ospreay versus Omega should have ended the show. I disagree. I think that Danielson, Okada should have ended the show. You cannot go back and remake the show based on who may have had the best match. Can't do that. I think Brian Danielson, Kazuchika Okada, the main event, made perfect sense. And I thought it was an incredible match. Everything was done so well. From Danielson entering to the final countdown to Okada's entrance, just everything about it was great. And the way the match ended, a tap out that nobody saw coming. Brian Danielson finished that match with a broken freaking arm. Yeah, I said it like that on purpose because he did. His forearm was broken. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. And his wife, I don't know if she was supposed to do this, but she released the actual x-ray. It's a full-on break. So we won't see Brian Danielson for a little while, but it feels like he's on his uh, farewell tour, dare I say. And he's only having dream matches, and rightfully so. What a match. If they ever run it back, count me in. Oh my God, I just had this crazy thought. What if this match main evented all in at Wembley Stadium? Just throwing that out there because we have no clue what the card is. That's amazing. However, if that match doesn't, perhaps a third match in the trilogy for this one will. Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega for the IWGP United States Championship. For those who don't watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega was very much a New Japan strong style kind of match. They went about 40 minutes and it didn't even feel like it. An absolute masterpiece. An incredible match that it just felt like would never end and I don't know that we wanted it to end. Congratulations to Will Ospreay becoming the two-time IWGP United States Champion. What a match. What a moment. Indeed, they could fight forever. And speaking of fight forever, that game from AEW is now available in stores nationwide. I'm so excited for AEW, who, you know, again, four years in, now with three shows on cable television and their own video game. I think it's going to be hard-pressed when history writes about pro wrestling and AEW. It's hard-pressed to find a company that has been more successful in a shorter period of time than AEW. 
Speaking of success, it's also good for me to mention here that this Forbidden Door card was the third largest grossing wrestling card in the history of the nation of Canada. The only two that grossed more money at the gate, WrestleMania 6, WrestleMania 18. It should be mentioned that both of those were held in the Toronto Sky Dome, which holds about five times the amount of people as the Scotiabank Arena. It should also be mentioned that earlier this year was Elimination Chamber with a red-hot Sami Zayn in Montreal fighting for the world title against Roman Reigns on the heels of him being kicked out of the bloodline. Super hot, yet Forbidden Door grossed $200,000 more at the gate than Elimination Chamber. I say all of this to say AEW is on fire right now. And the thing that we all need to do is put some respect on their name. When we come back, we're going to talk about a legend who's made his way into the dark side of the ring. And speaking of legends, how this week we celebrated a match that changed pro wrestling forever. This is the Stroke Daddy Ricky Starks, and you know I only do it one way, and that's big. You're not listening to The Faction. Friday, July 7th at the Action Building in Canton, Georgia for SHW 52. We'll crown the first ever Jake the Snake Legacy Champion as Chip Day battles the Kenway in the tournament finals. Cyrus the Destroyer has chosen his partners and will take on exotic youth in six-man tag team action alongside the returning All-Star Special. And two former champions unite as Gunnar Miller teams with Corey Hollis to take on Endgame, Nick Halen, and Southern Honor Champion Michael Judas. Plus, the hierarchy, Danny Jordan, the atrocity, cruel, and so much more. Tickets on sale at the door the night of the show starting at 5 p.m. Doors open at 7, bell time at 8. Invite your friends and pack the action building for another unforgettable night. Come see why we are SHW and this is our wrestling. It's one shot, now the future is yours. Go! This is a total package, Lex Luger, and you are turned into the Faction. So you guys know I'm a big fan of Dark Side of the Ring. The series is now in its fourth season. The season premiere happened on May the 30th, and they've had some great episodes, including Magnum TA, Chris Candido, and Sonny, and they recently had an episode on Doink the Clown, a.k.a. Matt Bourne. Well, this past week, they had another great episode. This one dealt with the Junkyard Dog. I've been a longtime fan of the Junkyard Dog, but one of the things that this podcast and a few others have taught me is that everybody's entry point into the world of pro wrestling is different. And some haven't had the privilege or luxury to be able to kind of go back in time to see or hear about some of their favorite wrestlers or some of the legends and legendary names that are out there. So if you want to learn quite a bit about the Junkyard Dog, check out this incredible episode. It aired on Vice this past Tuesday, and it talked a lot about his upbringing. It talked a lot about how he was such a trailblazer. It's so interesting when we have Black History Month, we talk about those who have paved the way. We often hear of names like Ron Simmons and The Rock and, you know, several others who were either world champions. And we always think of that as the measuring stick. 
But when the junkyard dog really broke in, the junkyard dog broke in in the Mid-South Territory, which was in states like Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, particularly Louisiana and Mississippi, were known for being strongly racist places. And yet in those places, it was Bill Watts who had the bravery to allow an African-American man to be his star. Now, here's what you need to understand. The wrestling world that we live in today that allows wrestlers of every ethnic persuasion and sexual orientation to have a spot at the top of the card, that was not the environment we were living in in the territory days. In fact, if you were in the LGBTQ community, you had to keep that very, very quiet. And if you were a person of color, there was usually only one slot available per territory. Having multiple slots for African-Americans per territory wasn't happening. And being the top star in said territory was absolutely not happening. So for the junkyard dog to be able to fill up spaces like the Louisiana Superdome and to be the biggest star in Mid-South spoke volumes. I don't want to tell the whole story because I do want you to go back and watch it because there are some very important keys to this story that you need to hear and see to really allow all of this in context to really make sense to you. But with that said, shout out to the legend of the junkyard dog. I definitely think we need to revisit these amazing legends and talk more about that on these podcast episodes. And I think that we'll do that. All right. All right. With that said, it's a big weekend in the world of pro wrestling. We're coming off the heels of Forbidden Door and we're heading into Money in the Bank. Well, before I get to Money in the Bank, let's shout out Carmelo Hayes because Carmelo Hayes, the NXT champion, made his Monday Night Raw debut this week in a big match against the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. That is Finn Balor. What an impressive showing it was for Carmelo Hayes, who would then on the next night head back to Orlando to defend his championship as part of NXT Gold Rush. And he successfully defeated Baron Corbin, who, by the way, returned to his lone wolf persona. Bye bye, happy Corbin. Welcome back, lone wolf. It in turn ended up being one of the best matches we've seen from Baron Corbin in years. And hopefully this means we will see more of the lone wolf throughout all of WWE. A massive card for NXT. And one of the questions that's out there right now, which we shared on our socials with our cool shorts that we're doing, and I hope you guys are enjoying. The question that's out there is, do you believe that NXT can be viewed as a viable third brand? WWE CEO Nick Khan believes so. You guys are really splitting your opinions. We've gotten some comments floating in already. Feel free to check out that video. We lay a case there and we we'll want to hear from you. So share your comments there. With that said, before we get out of here, we want to talk about a significant milestone. 25 years ago this week, in fact, it happened 25 years ago yesterday, the WWE presented King of the Ring. Now, this is when the King of the Ring tournament had become a pay-per-view. So let me just give you a little backstory on this. Back in 1993, the WWE introduced the King of the Ring tournament as its own pay-per-view. Now, the King of the Ring actually dated back into the 80s, but at that time, it was not really a televised event, nor was it a pay-per-view. 
Well, let's move forward because going into the 90s, the WWE began looking for new pay-per-view concepts. Enter the King of the Ring tournament and often the winner of the King of the Ring tournament would find themselves as the number one contender for the WWE Championship. Such was the case in 1993 when one Bret the Hitman Hart won the King of the Ring tournament, the first King of the Ring pay-per-view that also highlighted the entrance of Jerry the King Lawler into the WWE. Several Hall of Famers have gone on to win the King of the Ring. Of course, the King of the Ring that most may remember is 1996 that brought us one Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was the birth of Austin 316 that night. Other significant kings that we might remember include Triple H, Edge, and we even saw Booker T become the King of the Ring, and it brought us King Booker. Indeed, it did. So then, King of the Ring Tournament, 1998, a very big year. It took place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ironically, Pittsburgh will be hosting a pay-per-view coming up in September. I believe it is the Payback pay-per-view their first pay-per-view in nine years now the winner of the king of the ring tournament in 1998 was ken shamrock you might need that for a jeopardy question somewhere and he did that by defeating the rock in the finals the rock at that time was the intercontinental champion back in 1998 but seemingly nobody remembers this king of the ring pay-per-view for who was the king of the ring Nobody remembers even that Ken Shamrock was the king of the ring. What everybody remembers is the matchup that did not main event this show. The main event for the show was an actual first blood match inside of Hell in a Cell, and it involved Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kane. Kane would win that match with Stone Cold bleeding profusely, and there was controversy surrounding that. But it was the match before that that the whole wrestling world talks about still to this day, 25 years later. It was the iconic Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Mankind. This was at that time only the second Hell in a Cell match to be held on pay-per-view. The first one, of course, involved The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. It took place at the In Your House pay-per-view back in September of 1997 and introduced the world to The Undertaker's brother, Kane. Fast forward The Undertaker, Mankind in a massive feud. And we remember this because this match actually started on the top of the cell. Mankind, 287 pounds, climbs all the way to the top. The Undertaker climbs. And by the way, interesting backstory, Mankind said he wasn't afraid of heights, but he lied. The Undertaker climbed up that cell with a broken ankle crazy these guys fought it out like crazy on the top and it led to the iconic moment that is still used on wwe television to this day where the undertaker throws mankind off the top of the cell from there we all thought it was over we thought his life was over they carried mankind out on a stretcher only for mankind to return and climb back to the top of the cage and then he was thrown through the cell That wasn't supposed to happen either, but the cell wasn't meant at the top to hold two 300-pound figures. Yeah, 
From there, we saw perhaps the most violent match we've seen in WWE history. Still stands the test of time as one of the most violent matches. Literally, Terry Funk got choke slammed out of his shoes. Mankind ended up with a tooth through his nose. And it still ended up being a crazy match. The Undertaker would win. It would be the signature match for both The Undertaker and Mankind. And shortly after this, we would get the kinder, more gentler, and comedic Mankind. As Vince McMahon did not want Mick Foley to do anything crazy like that again. But remember, this was June of 1998. Six months later, the same Mankind would end up in a last-man-standing match for the WWE Championship with The Rock at the Royal Rumble. And let's just say it was wildly physical with a ton of chair shots to the head. And then in 2000, no way out, Mick Foley would find himself again at the top of the cell, and he would get back-dropped through the roof of the cell and fall back first through the ring in a match against Triple H that was supposed to end up being the retirement match of Mick Foley, but you know how wrestling retirements go. And that retirement was nullified by the next month as Mick Foley found himself at WrestleMania in the main event fighting for the world title. Be that as it may, I want to get your memories and thoughts about the iconic match that was held 25 years ago this week, The Undertaker versus Mankind, King of the Ring pay-per-view, Hell in a Cell, let me know your thoughts right now on the socials at The Faction Show. All right, guys, stay tuned. We've got all sorts of great things that are happening here at The Faction. I do believe next week we'll spend some time talking about the biggest moments of 2023 in the first half of the year. Get your thoughts on those things and more. Be on the lookout because actually some big events are happening in New Japan Pro Wrestling during the Independence Day week. On the 4th and the 5th, two big events happening in New Japan. Of course, we've got Money in the Bank happening this weekend in London. I'd love to get your thoughts in terms of who you think will win and be Mr. and Ms. Money in the Bank. Will we have a new world champion? And what will happen with the bloodline? Let's answer all those questions on the socials. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much for your continued support of all things connected to the faction. And remember to join us next time. Until then, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, I am Gerard Bonner, and this is the faction. I my people, here we go.